Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. Ashley, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty good. What do we got today? You know, I have a question for you to to start us off. Um, I'm sure you know the term soul surfer or skier or runner. Yes, the the soul whatever sport term, Mm -hmm. um, which I think started with soul surfing, but I'm not sure. It's basically the idea of, of somebody who... Um, fully commits to their sport, does it on this really high level, but sort of transcends things like difficulty or or grades. Like there's sort of this like, oh man, it's it's like I do this because it's I'm super passionate about it. So it has to do with the purity of the endeavor. Yeah, so it it does. It has to do with the motivations behind it, the 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 reasons for why you're doing it. Um, you know, a lot of times I think we would think of a, a soul climber, someone, um, you know, who's not out there for the spotlight, but a lot of times they end up getting it anyway. Most of the people, it's funny though, that fall into the category, at least the sort of soul climbers or soul skiers or whatever that I know, they also have this like like a good bit of alpha dog in them. Um, it's this funny dichotomy of, yeah, they're like out there, they're out there to enjoy the moment, but like the moment they start moving, it's like the hurt is being put on, um, because they're people that are out there to push their boundaries and in, in the boundaries of the sports that they've lived. Um, I think a lot of us might say that at certain points in our lives, we've been looking for moments in the natural world that are, are transcendent which is like a fancy word for the that for feeling small. You know like that moment where you step into a landscape or you're on a really big backcountry hike or on a big wall where all of a sudden it's sort of like you don't know where you stop and where the world begins and that feeling 
it makes us feel, I don't know, it makes us feel like wonderfully small and it puts things in perspective. But the funny thing about that is I think that a lot of people, especially if, if you sort of view yourself as an athlete, you're also paying attention to the details of that transcendent experience, like mm-hmm. how long it took, the difficulty of it. So there's these numerical values that we have for these experiences that we feel on this deep level that are actually sort of hard to talk about. So it's this kind of funny thing. Like, why does any of that matter? Why does how fast you did something matter? I don't know, but clearly it does. Do you do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Like, uh, I really like Strava. I mean, I'm not like crazy. I don't have the subscription, but I like it. It's kind of this like geeky little thing that I do um, when I go running or mountain biking. And, and part of it's like a, a, a journal, like to remember and be like, oh, yeah, there's that. Or like I look through things or sometimes I'll be like, how long did that take? But it's funny, you know, they, they feed you all these numbers. They'll tell you how you performed compared to your past things. You, But those numbers, they are really bad at telling the story of that day or that experience. It, it can give like the most basic boring version, how many miles you went, how fast, how much elevation gain, right? Things that like, they're just little bits of data. It completely misses how we might've felt the conversations we might've shared, you know, like I can look back and it's not going to be able to tell me about the day uh, taught me how to link this set of gap jumps together where we were hitting, you know, not one, but it ended up being like 12 of these crazy jumps in a row. And he had done them before I had and And he like talked me into it. He explained me how to do it. I would have never have done it. And here's this like my 10 year old son teaching me this. And when I get back, I get a little badge from Strava that says, hey, congrats, your second fastest time or whatever it is, which is great and all, but it pales in comparison to the actual experience. I think it's safe to say that we are all after the quality, but we can't help but to to quantify it. And I think that's totally okay. Well, we're talking with Jenny Abeg. In the Pacific Northwest, she's a renowned local mountain person, particularly for her rock climbing. Over time though, her relationship with climbing changed and she evolved into a runner. So when an opportunity to visit Patagonia presented itself again, she took the chance to see a familiar place from a new perspective. I'm Fitz Cahal. And I'm Ashley Langholtz. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. My parents were both climbers and mountaineers. And if I know how to do anything, it's like walk in the mountains with a backpack on. Jenny Abeg grew up in Abbotsford, British Columbia, just north of the U.S.-Canada border. The town is nestled in the northern terminus of the Cascade Range along the Fraser River. Washington's Mount Baker towers in the distance to the south. Jenny got to know the mountains at an early age, first from her father's backpack. It's easy to see why she feels comfortable in mountain terrain. I was always an athlete in high school and then got pretty into like mountaineering in my 20s and then into rock climbing towards the latter part of my 20s and then like threw myself into rock climbing. In 2012, Jenny took her first climbing trip to Indian Creek. She was hooked. Since then, she's climbed all over the world, in the U.S., Canada, Brazil, 
Colombia, Spain, and Chile. In 2015, Jenny took her first trip to El Chaltén, a small village in Argentina. I had been working at a middle school in Seattle and saved up a bunch of money to take a year off of work and travel around the States and then go down to Patagonia for two months. And I flew down to northern a northern section and like spent a few weeks in Cochimo, which is in Chile. Some, they call it the Yosemite of the South. And then a spot in, near Bariloche called Frey. And then I went down to Shelton for a full month and climbed with my good friend, Sarah, who had a lot of experience down there. So I was super lucky to kind of get pulled into a, a good crowd right away. Jenny felt a little intimidated by the social scene. World-class climbers flock to this region every December and January when it's summer in the Southern Hemisphere. On this first trip, Jenny met and climbed with two local guidebook authors, Rolo Garibaldi and Dorte Pytron. I got to climb my first route in Patagonia with like the king of the region, the guidebook author, Rolo, and well, and Dorte is, is the guidebook author as well. So I got very lucky my first round, and yet I was super intimidated. Jenny fell in love with the area. The mountains, the climbing, the break from the North American winter, the people, and the town. Being in the town is like being in this buzz of people talking and discussing weather and when they're going to go and what they're going to do. And it has a different feel to, to climbing at home because everyone's in one place and everyone's hanging out. No one's working. I don't know. There's like a cerebral appeal of it to me. And I could spend an entire season in Shelton not climbing or doing anything except for listening to people talk and watching people walk into the mountains and watching them walk back and hear them talk about what they did. Since that first trip in 2015, Jenny has been back to this region three times. For many years, climbing brought Jenny opportunities to travel, to get climbing gear, and even earn money. She's been featured in outdoor company catalogs and outdoor films. On the outside, Jenny was a climber. But on the inside, something started to shift. Man, when I first started climbing, it was like the best thing in the world. And I was, I was so excited about everything and everything was new and progress was really quick. And it like corresponded to a time in my life when I was really growing up for the first time and like leaving the church and leaving my home metaphorically speaking, and starting therapy. And so the roots, the beginning of my journey as a rock climber were so just rich and very pure. And over the years, as I like improved and started writing about it more and got photos of me out and like, it got convoluted for me. And I think we're all different in the way that we process stuff like that. But I needed to take a step back to, to bring climbing back in a pure form for myself. I had a summer where I just told myself, I think this was the summer of 2019. I just took the pressure off and was like, you know what, Jenny, you don't need to climb anything harder than five, eight this summer. Like just go have fun in the mountains. And that ended up being a really fun summer. And That summer, Jenny ran a long 26 mile ridgeline traverse with her friend, Sarah Hart, the same friend she climbed with on that first trip to Patagonia. The traverse involved a lot of running, scrambling, and rappelling. They carried light packs and wore approach shoes. They stretched daylight and tested how far they could cover in a single day. 
It was Jenny's first taste of quick mountain movement that wasn't really climbing, but wasn't really running. The change of pace was refreshing. When COVID hit in early 2020, Jenny traded her climbing shoes for running shoes. She didn't put a climbing harness on all summer. I think I really needed some space from climbing and some space from like the perceived pressure around having to climb a certain grade or just being sometimes paralyzed by fear or not having fun or dreading going out just because of how I knew I would feel like in certain sections of the climb and running was like a big antidote to that. In the spring of 2021, Jenny started planning a work trip to El Sheltan for the following February. She lives in Leavenworth, Washington, and works as a writer for a company that does gear reviews. One perk is getting to travel, hike, and backpack to test gear. Jenny's friends asked if and what she was going to climb, and Jenny was asking herself the same thing. This was around the time when I just wasn't feeling psyched on climbing and felt like the mountains in Patagonia were super dangerous wasn't really down to face fear and be scared in the mountains and kind of thought like if my work wasn't paying for me to go down would I go on a climbing trip to Patagonia I don't think so the question lingered for most of the year leading up to the trip Jenny kept running she also climbed occasionally just in case she might want to climb in Patagonia Jenny and a friend went to Yosemite and tried to climb the nose in preparation for climbing Fitzroy but Jenny just wasn't having fun Climbing in Patagonia seemed unlikely. Plus, she was digging running. I was starting to think that I should take a year and really give ultra running a go for myself. And so back last summer, I was like, 2022 is going to be the year of ultra running for me. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm not going to climb as much as I want to. I'm going to see what I can make of it because I am intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by how far I can push my body. I'm intrigued by the community. I'm really enjoying it. Let's see. Jenny's training faced some setbacks. That August, she broke her ankle on a ridge traverse and couldn't walk for six weeks. Still, she continued dreaming up long runs in Patagonia. In October, she sent out a message on social media. I think I remember saying something like, can people recommend long runs down in Patagonia? The more technical, the better. Because I really get a lot out of like, that aspect of things, off-trail navigation and stuff. Jenny texted with Rolo. They discussed the idea of circumnavigating the Sheltan Massif starting and ending in El Sheltan. The full loop is a 56-mile technical glacier traverse with 10,6600 feet of elevation gain. The route can also be done as a shorter open loop by catching the ride up the road out of town. That version is often completed as a six- to eight-day expedition. Rolo knew a few locals who had done the full loop in a day and shared beta with Jenny. I think the route is called La Vuelta al Hielo. It's a loop around the southern Patagonia ice field. I think that translates roughly to the ice cap loop. I had like a, a little bit of awareness of the range, but this was super appealing to me because it went around the whole range. And so I got to connect trails that I had walked on with a backpacking pack trails that I had walked on with a climbing pack, trails that I knew from like stumbling out of the mountains in like 70 mile an hour winds. The, the ice cap was always this very mythical thing to me that I wasn't sure if I was going to get to see. But the front side of the range felt like, okay, I know little parts of it. So I think it was super alluring. And in my mind, it was like, once I got to a certain section of this route, I didn't know 
what lay ahead. And I really, really liked that feeling of kind of entering the unknown. Shortly after those exchanges with Rolo, Jenny's training faced another setback. In November, she tore her MCL while surfing. The circumnavigation seemed a little far-fetched. Basically, when I thought about going down to Patagonia, I like barely threw in my running vest because I was definitely still injured and I hadn't been running at all at home. I had, I had been trying to bike as much as I could at the gym. I would go to the little tiny gym in Leavenworth and turn on Netflix and watch a show while I biked like every single day. And I did a lot of PT. So I was like really motivated to get better, but not super optimistic about it. In February 2022, Jenny and her coworkers arrived in El Sheltan summer camp, she thought. By this point, her knee recovery was moving along, and to her surprise, she was feeling great. She tested herself with short runs up the rocky slopes near town. One of Jenny's co-workers, John, schemed up a 40-mile loop, and of course, Jenny wanted to join. I went for my first run in, like, months. It was an eight-mile run, and it felt good. And I remember coming back for that run and telling John, like, let's do the loop. I feel good. Jenny and John successfully completed the loop. They had a great time and they made good time. Things were looking more promising for the ice cap loop. Jenny continued learning about the route and collected any beta she could. Earlier that month, Caitlin Gerben and Fernanda Maciel teamed up to run the shorter open loop with two locals. They completed that route in just over 13 hours and snagged the fastest known time, or FKT, for the open loop. Jenny texted with Caitlin to talk about the route and the conditions and gear. Jenny planned to do the closed loop, starting and ending at her house in El Sheltan. I always wanted to do it by myself. There is a certain feeling that I get when I travel alone in the mountains that I can't get anywhere else. And I really wanted to have that experience. It's like a feeling of I can move at my own rhythm and speed. And it's a huge feeling of empowerment to be able to to be in the mountains by myself and I actually like I love being in the mountains with with good friends and good partners and I don't really solo rock climb and I think that partnership is one of like the most important pieces of climbing but the experience of being alone is is pretty cool too and I wanted that experience for this. Jenny consulted with Rolo about doing the route alone. She describes him as being a very thoughtful person so when he said he thought she could do it alone, Jenny felt like she had permission. All the lights seemed to be turning green. But old habits are hard to break. When a weather window came into view, some of Jenny's friends asked if she wanted to go climbing. And I was like, yeah, I want to climb. Like, I can't not climb here. I know I said this was the year of ultra running, but this is a climbing window. And so I packed my bag to go climbing. And we made a plan and we were going to leave on Saturday morning. And we woke up on Saturday morning and it was still raining. So we decided to delay a day. And I remember going for a run that day and remembering that I had declared 2022 the year of ultra running and being like, why am I 
going climbing. Like, this is the focus that I've always lacked. I need to take myself for a run. This is what I said I wanted to do. And like, I'm going to do it. And so I unpacked my climbing bag and told the two girls that I was going to go into mountains with that I was going to run instead. And yeah, committed to doing the loop. The climbers left town for the mountains and Jenny stayed back and poured over maps with Rolo. They talked about cutoff times, gear, contingencies, and where she'd sleep if needed. The two became great friends. Rolo offered to support Jenny from town via inReach, which is something he does often. I'd be over at Rolo's house in the evening when all the climbers would message him with their inReaches, telling him where they were in the mountains. And so we'd get, we'd get texts from like all my friends who are out there and, oh, we're like on the call between Kijame and Miramos. Like, it's beautiful up here. Like, oh, we're like below the placas on the FNCF. Like the French girls are below us tittering and like we're wearing t-shirts. Like just... Just all these reports from really high places in the mountains that I, like, there was a huge part of me that was like, oh, I want to be there. I want to be up high. But, but no. Yeah. So those days were, were beautiful. They felt preparatory in a way. She and Rolo developed a plan with a 24-hour cutoff time. Even with the long loop Jenny ran with her coworker the week prior, she was still a little nervous about her health. I was going to do it on Tuesday, and I got up and ran on Monday morning and felt terrible like hadn't slept well I just was like I don't know if my body is ready for this you know I haven't been training I haven't run in six months really is this smart and then kind of did the same thing the next morning and woke up and ran and felt good and there was always this thought of like I can turn around whenever I want to after the break Jenny leaves El Shaltan for a big day in the mountains, and this time, to run. Stay with us. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid, because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go. Well, I had gone to bed the night before early and I had kind of prepped things. I had bought a quarter kilo of ice cream and put it in my fridge and I bought a full pizza and put it in my fridge because I wanted to be fully prepared for when I got home and I laid everything out and I had decided on all my gear and everything was ready for me and I I think I woke up at two there's a river crossing maybe like 10 miles in that can get really swollen and it was a very warm weather window and so I had been across that river earlier in my trip as a backpacking trip with my coworkers and we had been like up to our waists and I wanted to get to that river before sunrise. So I woke up at two, put my clothes on, had all my stuff ready, ate something, um, and then left my house and I started my watch and then shoved it in my pack. And as I, I was running, I was maybe like almost out of town, like almost to the trailhead. And I hear something coming up behind me and I'm like, what the heck? And I turn around and there's Rolo on his bike, giving me a two in the morning escort to the trailhead. 
So like his, his support was undying. You know, I could have felt so alone doing this whole thing, but I, I did not. And a lot of that is thanks to Rolo. He wheeled beside me as I ran to the trailhead and I gave him a fist bump and took off up the trail. Jenny traveled north out of town on the trail. The first section follows the Fitzroy Trail, a famous day hike out of El Shaltan. After about three and a half miles, Jenny's path veered between trails and she spent the next four miles following her nose in the dark. She linked up with another established trail along Rio Electrico. Her body was feeling great. Arriving at the river crossing, she was able to walk across. She covered about 17 miles before the sun came up when she arrived at the Tyrolean Traverse, crossing an outlet of Laguna del Marconi, Jenny's first checkpoint to text Rolo. Across the Tyrolean for sunrise. Legs feel great. Heart is full. I got there in half the time they thought it would take me. And so I was feeling really psyched. I was feeling like I was moving well. I was just so excited for the day. And the sun was rising when I was there. And, you know, you put on your like tiny glacier harness and go across this like massive blowing river. And then I get to the other side of this Tyrolean and I don't feel intimidated very often in the mountains, but I got so intimidated. Heavy, heavy water was, was coming down this like valley that I was about to go up and the rock was wet. And I just, the immensity of the terrain was like, whoa, okay. Like I gotta be careful and I'm here alone. On the other side of the Tyrolean, Jenny picked her way up a technical section of rocky terrain and ascended the glacier up to Paso Marconi. Her decision to bring microspikes instead of crampons seemed okay. She was feeling optimistic. Around 9 a.m., Jenny texted Rolla from the pass. She descended down to a heavily crevassed section on the backside of the mountain onto the ice cap. There was a moment in time when I looked out at what I had to travel and was like, oh, because some of it's fairly easy when it's not crevassed, you're just running on snow, which is super quick. But then you get to these sections that are, you're jumping a crevasse every other step. And I remember feeling like, like I'm going to have PTSD for life of jumping crevasses. It's just so many crevasses. And yeah, just, just constant one step forward, two steps sideways, one step forward, five steps sideways kind of travel. So you feel like you're going really slow, really slow. Jenny remembered Rolo's advice about focusing on one thing at a time. So she focused on each step, on each crevasse in front of her. I never looked at my watch, so I never knew how many miles I had traveled or anything like that. It was, I had certain benchmarks in my mind about like the end of Lago Electrico and then the Tyrolean and then getting up to Paso Marconi and getting on the ice cap. And, but none of it was about mileage or time. And that felt so important to me because I knew that if it shifted into that, I wouldn't enjoy the day. And those mountains are deserving of presence. Jenny stayed curious throughout the day, eager to see what was around the next corner. 
At one point, she stood in awe as she took in the expansive views of towering mountains to the east and west. I remember looking up at the mountains and being like, wow, all my friends are out there. That's pretty cool. Jenny continued south and eventually passed a large expedition party, roped up, wearing big mountaineering boots and big backpacks. I remember feeling really foolish, actually, and feeling like I need to run far enough around them so they don't call me out (laughs) because I'm out here in shorts and a t-shirt and trail running shoes and I'm running unroped and I feel safe, but they must think I'm stupid and I don't blame them for it, but I felt so free. Not long after, Jenny closed in on the last stretch of snow travel. The final section was hard ice with lots of rocks and fewer cracks, so she covered the terrain quickly. And I remember that being like a sense of relief for sure, just feeling like I've done it. Like I skinny dipped in a lake over there and felt like I felt so alive, but I also felt like accomplished. Like all I have to do is run on trail that I mostly know from here on out. My body feels good and I had so much food left and I was way ahead of my 24 hour schedule. So yeah, it was a beautiful day. It was warm, like warm enough to swim. I felt, felt pretty alive. Jenny sent a text to Rolo. Off the glacier. Praise the good Lord. That was tough on the knees. Just crushed a bag of Doritos and I'm feeling surprisingly good. Home stretch. From the lake, Jenny ran two or three miles up the final pass, Paso del Viento. Then she started dropping back to the front side of the range. At that point, I started to see a lot of people. You know, it's always kind of shocking at the end of such an experience. Um, to see people who are just having a totally different experience on the other side of things. If I think about how suffering entered into my day, this is the part where it came. It was just hot and you're at a really low elevation and the adventurous and like curiosity driving part of the day is definitely behind me. I've been on that trail a number of times. It's not that exciting. There's cows that I don't like because they stare you in the eyes and threaten to run you over. And and so at that point, I was like, I'm going to make it, but I just have to keep grinding. Rolla wanted to meet Jenny at the trailhead, so she texted him. Nearing the top of the hill, my best guess is that I have about an hour and a half left. Let's hope my legs can get me home. She got to the trailhead about an hour later. He met me on his bike in the road. He was like, I knew you were going to be early. So he, I mean, his, his house is like two minutes away, but he was biking towards me as I was like running into town. And I kept running. I was like, hi, Rollo, I'm doing it. He's like, you're doing it. <laughs> it just felt like a felt like a really fun accomplishment and like so frivolous really like what are we doing like in these sorts of endeavors I'm not sure not much for anything other than just like pure joy and satisfaction but it felt it was so fun and like re-entering town with a, a Rolo transport and just bantering about how cool the range is and I mean he's been in all those places too so it was neat to be able to talk to somebody who knew it all and just like, oh yeah, Paso Marconi, like blah, blah, blah. And 
I was I couldn't believe how fast I was going. So just like really celebratory, really, really fun. Jenny finished the run around 6.30 p.m., 15 hours and 29 minutes, 56 miles and 10,066 feet of elevation since she left her house that morning. Jenny sat in her lawn, stretching, eating her pizza and ice cream, and savored the moment. I ran from my door, and I arrived back at my door, and I ran all the way around the mountains. Nobody knew when they saw me running back into town with really sunburnt legs, what I had done. And it didn't really matter. Like, what does it matter? It doesn't, but it mattered to me. It felt really cool. And I think that that's enough. Jenny set an overall solo unsupported FKT on the closed loop. Unsupported in FKT nomenclature means she carried everything she needed. But Jenny isn't sure unsupported sits right. The solo unsupported nature of it I'm really proud of. Which only could have happened because I was so well supported. Like that's interesting, hey? Like you go out unsupported and it's like this badge that you're given. But gosh, there's no way I could have done that without all the people who had done it before me. Without Rolo's support. Without people who I borrowed gear from you know, without my parents taking me into the mountains when I was a kid. So unsupported yet fully supported. And I guess I'm proud of both of those things because community is really important to me. Jenny and I laughed a little about the adjectives and badges that can be placed on accomplishments. First, fastest, solo, supported, unsupported. In the end, Jenny said that some of those elements are motivating, but they only tell part of the story. They leave out skinny dips, curiosity, style, Planning, pizza and ice cream, friendships, and bike escorts. Yeah, speed records are awesome, and I, I'm motivated by them. But I think it was it felt honoring of that terrain to to move at it in the speed that I wanted to at any given time. And I love moving fast; like I get a lot out of it. So most of that time, I was moving as quickly as I could. But I just wanted to notice, and I I just wanted to be really present. Running is pure, and I only do it when I want to, and I love the feeling of it, and I want to get better at it because I enjoy it, and I want to do bigger, harder things, but I never want to take away the purity of it. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing your story. Jenny has continued to crush in 2022. She and Caitlin Gerber completed a seven-day traverse in the North Cascades, 123 miles off trail, 59,000 feet of vertical. It's one of the most badass things that's ever happened in our backyard. So cool. Congrats, Jenny. Music today from Cloud9, John Barry, Bradley Carter, Kai Engel, Ken Christensen, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Ashley Langholtz, Cordelia Zars, Becca Call, and Mifitz Call. Illustration by Walker Call. Becca Call is our executive producer. You've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>